KYRS, Medical Lake Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. This is Ceasefire Now Radio, KYRS, Thin Air Community Radio. My name is Russell Webster. I am your host, and on this show, we discuss war and conflicts throughout the world from the perspective of responsibility for U.S. imperialism. Today, I'll be discussing the U.S.-Israel war and genocide on Palestine, uh, a tactic by voters to write Ceasefire Now on their ballots and protest by self-immolation, and more. First, here are some updates. It's been over a month since the ICJ ruling that required Israel to ensure the delivery of essential assistance to Palestinians. So far, Israel has failed to do the bare minimum to comply with this. Today is February 29, 2024. The U.S.-Israel war and genocide on Palestine is entering its sixth month as mass hunger and starvation continue to increase in the Gaza Strip. An iconic Palestinian artist, Fatih Gabin, died in Gaza after Israel denied him permission to leave for medical treatment. He was 77. Tens of thousands of cancer patients and Palestinians with life-threatening illnesses are being blocked from access to health care and medicine. Additionally, countless dialysis patients are being forced to a slow death without needed treatments. The United States and Israel have destroyed Gaza's health care system. At least 104 Palestinians were killed and hundreds more were wounded when Israel forces fired upon a crowd of people at an aid convoy inside Gaza City's Al-Rashid Street on Thursday. The shooting was indiscriminate. People were shot in the head, in the feet, in the stomach. An Oxfam representative says, quote, Israel deliberately targeting civilians after starving them is a gross violation of international humanitarian laws, and our humanity. Uh, end of quote. I'd like to note, uh, note this especially, that Israel has on multiple occasions fired at individuals who are waiting for food aid. Most recently, Israel killed over 100 uh, people in one time. At least uh, once, one time uh, Israel allegedly sent fake Uh, fake text messages to Gazans telling them to assemble and then shot at them when they assembled. Israel has also attacked food aid convoys and those who accompanied them on several occasions. Additionally, Israeli citizens have blocked a border crossing for weeks with no meaningful attempt by Israel to reopen it. I'd like to repeat that point. Israel citizens have blocked a border crossing for weeks. 
U.S. Israel have killed more than 30,446 Palestinians since October 7th, 2023. Nearly 2 million people are displaced in Gaza, which is the largest concentration camp in the world. I would like to pause to mention some of these unmentioned heroes that I alluded to, uh, the drivers and the, the, the people who supply and, and are in charge of getting the supplies into Gaza. They have to drive vehicles, they drive trucks, and there are other people involved in this. Needless to say, it's an extremely dangerous, life-threatening role that they are playing, and they have not been mentioned. The truck drivers and other workers attempting to provide aid to Palestinians. Can you imagine the fear that those driving the trucks must feel? They are in fear of being killed both before entering Gaza and after. Israel has destroyed many aid vehicles since October 7th. We should remember those heroes as well. Turning to the climate, it's still winter time, but wildfires are surging in Texas right now. In fact, quote, Texas is currently the state with the second highest number of properties that are vulnerable to wildfires behind Florida. Unquote. Scientists say that we can expect fire seasons to blur into each other in the coming years. On nuclear weapons, the threat of nuclear war persists uh, with two nuclear-armed states at war in the Middle East, the United States and Israel, along with Russia, Putin beginning to threaten possible uh, nuclear exchanges in Ukraine and Eastern Europe. The doomsday clock remains set to 90 seconds to midnight. Now I'd like to turn to some local news, but it also connects directly to international uh, organizational efforts. I'd like to talk about a strategy that's being waged um, by progressives, Democrats, and others who, uh, who, are, who are wanting the president, President Biden, to stop the war immediately. I'm also going to discuss a upcoming march that is going to be a global march uh, titled Hands Off Rafa when we are demanding that the Biden administration and Washington and Israel do not invade Rafa and create a ceasefire now and start creating the conditions to rebuilding Gaza and Palestine in the future. So on March 2nd, uh, millions across the world are going to be marching. And uh, at this time, I'd like to uh, bring on my, uh, a guest to the show today who's been on the show before, Barb Steubing. How you doing, Barb? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing good. Relatively good. Yeah, it's a tough day. It's good to uh, see you again and, and talk to you. I know that you are uh, also involved in... Uh, directly involved in some of these uh, these protests and tactics and other organizing efforts. So this one 
uh, that I was just discussing. It's in March coming up. But let's let's first get to the um, the reason why you came on today to discuss this uh, initiative. I, th- I believe it's called the Vote Ceasefire Now. Yes. Initiative. Yes. And I would like to say that there's only been, um, if I'm not mistaken, only five senators have called for a ceasefire officially. Um, you know, I, I wonder what that says about our, our political system. Uh, I also read that a majority of likely American voters, including six, 70, 76% of Democrats, want the U.S. to call for a permanent ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. And lastly, I recently heard that Dearborn, Michigan voters voted uncommitted or ceasefire now on the ballot. And if I'm not mistaken, that that beat Biden um, by votes or I'm not sure how all that works. So that's that's yeah. in large part why I want why, why I'm happy to have you here. So can you please um, tell us about uh, about this initiative? Sure, sure. Um, it started in New Hampshire. Um, I guess Biden wasn't on the ballot in New Hampshire, so he was a write-in. Um, and a group of people got together and said, what if instead of writing in Biden, we write in ceasefire because that's what we want. Hmm. And um, they didn't have a lot of time getting it going because, you know, elections sneak up really quickly. Uh, but they still got 1% of the people to write in ceasefire in um, New Hampshire. And so... Um, Michigan sort of took that and applied it to their ballot system and had people vote uncommitted. Um, yeah, and then Detroit, I think, uncommitted beat Biden. But overall, in the state of uh, Michigan, 100,000 people voted uncommitted. Wow, okay. Um, so pretty good chunk of people. Um, in Washington, we the group that I'm with decided, uh, was talking about the the New Hampshire ballot and we I was like that is a great idea because that's what I want um I feel pretty strongly that I am I'm not an uncommitted voter I'm a mm. voter that's committed to work for a ceasefire right on. and I'm super frustrated um by my representatives and my senators who ignore me I call them not daily but couple of times a week and I get nothing. Um, I think Patty Murray kind of came out with a wish-washy kind of statement, but didn't really call for a full ceasefire. So Hmm. um, I figure this is a good way to get their attention. Obviously, my phone calls don't work. My emails don't work. And maybe votes will make a difference. Yeah. Do you know if this specific tactic has ever been tried in the past or used? Um, Not in Washington State. Um, In Washington State, we are very fortunate. We have a lot of ways to vote on our ballot. We can vote for any of the three candidates that are running. Um, We can also vote uncommitted here, and we can write in. Um, So I am choosing to write in ceasefire because I feel like, for me, I know that I wrote it. I know that they will see it. Um, All of those will get counted. The state, the Democratic Party is actually the one that is in charge of, I mean, well, how do you say this? 
the state of Washington runs this election for the Democratic and Republican Party. So the Democratic Party gets to decide if they want to individually count the ceasefire separately from all of the other write-in votes. Okay. Um, in New Hampshire, they were not going to do that. And then the Secretary of State at the last minute did count them. Um, I don't know what will happen here in Washington, but my the number of write-in ballots will certainly be counted as a total. This many people wrote in. Okay something on the line or at least colored the circle in front of right in. Gotcha. Um, and that's sort of how our ballots get counted is by what circles are colored in. And then the, the right in ones will get separated out into piles versus if they decide to count. Okay. And then they'll disclose that the number, amount, the number if, if the democratic party allows that. Okay. Okay. They're in charge. Okay. But, uh, I, I, I was watching a segment a couple of days ago. I think it was Michigan, and they had an uh, an expert on, and he was saying that he thought the um, the demonstration was the important part, mm-hmm. and that I believe it was Michigan. But he was saying that just showing the uh, showing the Biden administration that this is where um, one important state is at. Yeah essentially shows this is how the rest of the United States, you can take the, you know, right. the statistics and, and apply it to the rest of the United States. But it sounds like the, it sounds like the states that have been following New Hampshire and Michigan are, are sort of continuing on with this. Yeah. I think that there are lots of states that are um, rolling out either uncommitted or ceasefire campaigns in their states Um down the road because I feel like every state is a little bit different. So when Michigan votes um, uncommitted, they they have a very large Muslim populate, population. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that sort of follows. You can just be like, well, that's the Muslim population that's making that difference. Washington, very different state, very different population. So um, it'll be interesting to see how those numbers come out. And I'm not just trying to send a message to Biden it's the whole Democratic Party. Like you said, there are, what, mm-hmm. six senators that have said that they're for a ceasefire? Yeah. I feel like the whole government needs to understand that the American people are in a different place than they are. Absolutely. I, uh, you gave us your reasons for, for uh, wanting to write on uh, as, as, a, uh, as an individual who normally votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, what's well, Democrat or would normally vote that way, that you are writing in ceasefire and many, many people are doing this, but uh, people have their own reasons for doing it. Absolutely. And one of, uh, I wanted to read a, an, another local um, important leader and activist who gave their reasons and I just wanted to read those as well. And I'm going to read this quote here. I'm writing in ceasefire because I dread being responsible for all the innocent lives lost during my tax monies to supply the bombs and bullets, said Nagmana Shirazi, CEO of Muslims for Community Action and Support and Environmental Justice Committee Chair of the NAACP Spokane Branch. And Nagmana goes on and says, how can we justify over 25,000 deaths 
since October 7th, 2023, most of them women and children, because of bullets and bombs funded by us. I want to tell the powers that be I refuse to be complicit in this genocide and want to make sure my view is acknowledged. End of quote. So that's pretty much in line with what you were saying, Mm -hmm. too. Um, It seems to be mobilizing and bringing together uh, countless numbers of people who, you know, before were not aligned on on any uh, one topic. Mm -hmm. And this is definitely a unifying um, subject that has ties to U.S. history, but specifically to like the 20th and 21st century. So we've seen these these uh, tactics, these uh, movements that we're a part of are sort of reverberations. And we, we're seeing a lot of the same uh, factors play out that played out in like the 1960s during the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. So as that just went on and on and on, people kept escalating and creating and finding different ways to um, get the message out. Yeah. I have, you know, I have a message, you have a message. We want to say our message, why is it that the the dominant message seems to be the one that uh takes over the the uh the, the cultural narrative so to speak year after year after year pushing pushing us to invent or do things that we wouldn't normally do. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely working our way around the electoral system. Yeah. I mean, this is um, very serious to a lot of people. They they are very uncomfortable even writing in, you know, ceasefire or uncommitted things like that. So, but coming at it from, from every available, every possible angle. Yeah. I mean, it's threatening, I think, to the people that are used to being in power and, you know, they want the elections to work a certain way and... Um, this is a unique period in our lives and I feel like it's time to try and do whatever I can to change the way our world works because it's, I feel like it's not going in the direction it needs to go. Mm-hmm. We need to learn how to work together with people and um, not kill them because we disagree. Absolutely. And so that ties into the other, um, there was another local event that is uh, a global event really, but global means it's happening wherever you're at as well. So there's uh, another march coming up this weekend, I believe, uh, March 2nd, 2024. There's a global rally and march for Palestine called Hands Off Rafa ceasefire now stop the genocide and that's going to be at uh, 1 p.m down uh, 601 west riverside spokane there'll be uh, presenters from spokane area organizations and communities and they'll speak prior to marching through spokane and this is all happening uh, because america and the world want a ceasefire now. Yeah, absolutely. 
And that's, uh, is that's the march that you were talk- we were talking about earlier? Yes. So okay. that's the big march on um, Saturday. And then also on Sunday, um, I'm working on, with some other people, planning a vigil for um, Aaron Bushnell, mm. the Air Force member who self, M- I can't say Emulated, the word. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it'll be a week since his death. So um, we're just going to get together with candles and have some quiet time together um, and think about the things our government has done and makes us complicit in. I'm going to take a short break and then we'll talk more about um, Aaron Bushnell and others um, when we come back. Ceasefire Now Radio, your host, Russell Webster, have with me a special guest today, Barb Steubing, and we're discussing the war on Palestine and what we can do to stop it, basically. I'm going to talk about a very very uh, serious subject, so if this, uh, I'm going to be talking about self-emulation and uh, it might be too much or a lot for others to uh, listen to, so I just wanted to, to let you know. Um, on February 25th, Aaron Bushnell, an active duty member of the U.S. Air Force, set himself on fire in front of the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. I'm going to, uh, to give more context, I'm going to play a clip from... 
a Democracy Now! broadcast that uh, gives more information. On the morning of February 25th, Aaron Bushnell, a 25-year-old active duty member of the U.S. Air Force, posted on Facebook a link to the video live streaming service Twitch with a caption that read, quote, Many of us like to ask ourselves, what would I do if I was alive during slavery or the Jim Crow South or apartheid? What would I do if my country was committing genocide? The answer is, you're doing it right now, he wrote. A few hours later, shortly before 1 p.m. local time, Aaron Bushnell walked towards the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C., wearing his Air Force uniform. He began the live stream on his phone and spoke as he approached the embassy gates. I am an active duty member of the United States Air Force, and I will no longer be complicit in genocide. I'm about to engage in an extreme act of protest, but compared to what people have been experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it's not extreme at all. This is what our ruling class has decided will be normal. Aaron Bushnell then placed his phone on the ground, stood in front of the Israeli embassy gate, and doused himself in the liquid before setting himself on fire. He shouted, free Palestine, several times as he was consumed by the flames. Those were his last words. This is what our government has caused. This is where we're at. And I was talking earlier about these reverberations and these echoes that continue over the decades and over the generations. And it's important to understand that because you can understand what is fundamentally underlying this to continue and happen over and over again generation after generation. It's important not to think of the moments as individualized, separate from history. Uh, Anne Wright is an activist, a veteran activist. Uh, She retired from, I believe it was the Air Force, but she retired uh, as a colonel and became an, uh, an activist, an anti-war activist, and a leader, um, a member of Veterans for Peace. And uh, six years ago, uh, Anne Wright wrote a, a piece on self-emulation uh, titled, Why Would Anyone Kill Oneself in an Attempt to Stop a War? And this... This piece was prompted by a visit to Vietnam. Uh, And Wright visited Vietnam with uh, a Veterans for Peace group and saw a a plaque on on a wall. And it really changed the way she thought about uh, self-immolation and even the the history of it as connected to uh, anti-war movement. And she discovered that uh, 
in addition to the famous Buddhist monk uh, Thich Quang Duc, uh, several Americans had also set themselves on fire uh, in an attempt to end U.S. military actions during the turbulent years in Vietnam. Um, are you familiar with this, Barb? Um, yeah, I, yes, I am, unfortunately. So that was really a, a major um, symbolic moment in, in the war in Vietnam. Um, Anne Wright uh, uh, goes on in the, in the first article six years ago, Anne Wright said that the first person in the United States to die of self-immolation in opposition to the war on Vietnam War was 82-year-old Quaker Alice Hertz, who lived in Detroit, Michigan. She set herself on fire on a Detroit street on March 16, 1965. Before she died of her burns 10 days later, Alice said she set herself on fire to protest, I quote, the arms race and the president using his high office to wipe out small nations, unquote. Six months later, on November 2nd, 1965, Norman Morrison, a 31-year-old Quaker from Baltimore, a father of three young children, died of self-immolation at the Pentagon. Morrison felt that traditional protests against the war had done little to end the war and decided that setting himself on fire at the Pentagon might mobilize enough people to force the United States government to abandon its involvement in Vietnam. Morrison's choice to self-immolate was particularly symbolic in that it followed President Johnson's controversial decision to authorize the use of napalm in Vietnam, a burning gel that sticks to the skin and melts the flesh. Unquote. So the thing about that is that Morrison, Norman Morrison was perceived by uh, all of his friends and family members and acquaintances to be a, a, a good, upstanding, quote, normal person, you know, a uh, very sensitive person. And also that when he had self-immolated in protest of the Vietnam War, he did not know that shortly after, uh, virtually at the same time, is when President Johnson decided to start using that napalm, which would burn the flesh of countless Vietnamese uh, people. So that, that irony is also embedded in that history. And to continue on with Wright's article, uh, she says, quote, one week after Norman Morrison's death, Roger Laporte, 22, a Catholic worker, became the third war protester to take his own life. He died of burns suffered through self-immolation on November 9th, 1965 on the United Nations Plaza in New York City. And consequently, following these self-immolations and these acts of protest against the genocidal war in Vietnam... They mobilized the anti-war community, uh, which began weekly vigils at the White House and Congress, which occurred every week following. Uh, Quakers were arrested on, on the steps of the Capitol building um, as they read the names of uh, 
American dead soldiers. October 15, 1967, Florence Beaumont, a 56-year-old Unitarian mother of two, set herself on fire in front of the Federal Building in Los Angeles. Her husband, George, later said, quote, Florence had a deep feeling against the slaughter in Vietnam. She was a perfectly normal, dedicated person and felt she had to do this just like those who burned themselves in Vietnam. Three years later, May 10th, 1970, a 23-year-old, George Wynn Jr., son of a Navy captain and student at the University of California, San Diego, set himself on fire on the university's Revel Plaza next to a sign that said, quote, in God's name, end this war, unquote. And this came just six days after the Ohio National Guard fired into a crowd of Kent State University student protesters, which killed four students and wounded nine. So soldiers firing into crowds of civilians. We're also seeing that, that continuation. The Arab Spring began on December 10th, 2010, with a 26-year-old street Tunisian vendor named Mohamed Bozizi setting himself on fire after a policewoman confiscated his food street vending cart. He was the only breadwinner for his family, and had to frequently bribe police in order to operate his cart. Consequently, his death sparked citizens throughout the Middle East to challenge their repressive governments. Now, Anne Wright followed up the article that she wrote six years ago about uh, self-immolation and uh, published an article the day after uh, Aaron Bushnell uh, died on Sunday. And Wright, uh, Anne Wright says, I quote, Now, six years later, in the past three months, two people in the United States have taken or risked taking their own lives in an attempt to change U.S. policies on Palestine and call for a ceasefire and stop U.S. funding to the state of Israel that would be used to kill in the Israeli genocide of Gaza. And yet, unidentified woman trapped in a Palestinian flag set herself on fire in front of the Israeli consulate in Atlanta, Georgia, on December 1st, 2023. Three months later, authorities have yet to release the name of the woman. Her condition was unknown as of mid-December. I'll be right back.
Ceasefire Now Radio, KYRS. I'm your host, Russell Webster. I'm joined by Barb Steubing today. How you doing, Barb? You still with us? Yep, still right. here. We've been talking about how, we, how we're going to stop this war and genocide in Palestine and how we're going to continue to stop these things from happening in the future like how are we going to change the world that's what we're talking about right we're going to work together what do we yes so we are trying every and i say we i'm talking about the, the world i'm talking about the world that wants this to end the world that wants this threat of annihilation <laughs> that has been plaguing us since, well, forever, but, you know, we're really talking about these 20th century um, inventions and this, you know, threat of mass destruction and global warming. And so all of these things I've been talking about since I, since the, I, the first episode of this show about like, trying to draw connections to all of this. Yeah. Because I, it's one thing to say these things are all connected or it's all connected or whatever. But it's another thing to really attempt to somehow articulate and show the underlying causes that continue these processes pan-generationally. So over generations, centuries even, depending on how you want to look at it. I mean, with the United States, it's like... Um, it's the same thing. It's just different technologies over time, you know, different languages used. And it, it just, it continues to rehash. It continues to play out every, so like each generation, there's a new like set of people who are becoming conscious and they're leaving their homes and they're becoming, you know, free individuals in, in the world and want to chart their paths. But that also means now they have to start to combat that indoctrination that they're coming out of, you know, that they're, they're, there's always a, a blend of truths. You know, their parent, you know, parents aren't trying to deceive. We're not trying to deceive our children and our parents weren't trying to deceive us, but, and our school teachers aren't trying to deceive us, but we end up mm -hmm. going out into the world and we don't understand it. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, Aaron, before he died, said that, you know, what you're doing, if you thought the Holocaust is bad, what you're doing now is the same thing. And I think what makes it even more complicated is that because a lot of us have these computers in our pocket, we can actually see 
what's happening in the world more, um, which I think allows us to combat the propaganda or the things that the news wants us to worry about as opposed to um, not uh, not looking behind the screen, right? Mm-hmm. We can see behind the screen. I woke up this morning and I watched um, people getting shot trying to get food in Gaza last mm-hmm. night. Um, and then I heard on the radio that, you know, it was a... Um, the trucks ran over them. They were pushed, you know, and I'm like, I just watched this. Like, you can't tell me mm-hmm. the story you want me to follow because I can see the story with my own eyes. Um, and I'm lucky that I went to school and had good pa- parents that taught me critical thinking skills mm-hmm. to be able to acknowledge that what I'm hearing my media government tell me is not what I'm seeing. And um, and I need to act on that. That the, the idea that we can all be different countries and states and uh, religions and it doesn't matter, we don't have to deal with each other is mm-hmm. just not true anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tell me, tell me what you think about this. I've been... Uh, saying this to myself in in my head lately and I I think there's something to it because like we're in a moment in human history where we arguably have more information as you said at our fingertips than ever before like most humans like have they can they can access answers if they if they have a question they can there are ways they can look to find the answers and, and that didn't exist 100, 200, 1,000 years ago. Shoot, 10 years <laughs> ago. Come on. Exactly. And so, but it's, it's, the, it's the age of information. So it's like we are inundated with information. And so it's not as though the more information you have, the more knowledge you have. Because what I realized was that you can, you know, one can have all the information in the world and I, I came to this realization during Black Lives Matter, you know, mm-hmm. when you're trying to just show basic contradictions to people or you're trying to show the way they're just not thinking through something that just seems obvious. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I realized that you can have all the information in the world, but that doesn't mean you know what to do with it. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And so the saying I've been saying is you can lead a horse to water, <laughs> but you can't make it drink. You can lead people to information, but you can't make them think. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, so that's what Hannah Arendt was sort of was saying. uh, One of the things when she was studying, well, like, how did this happen? How could so many of these good people, my friends and family members and neighbors, people I work with at the university, how could they do this? How could they be Nazis or how could they support Nazism? How could they support genocide? And so in, in looking into it, she wasn't very happy with the results because it was just boring. You know, it was just, it was, they just, people aren't thinking. They're just not thinking. They're just going through the uh, the prescribed and preformed 
behaviors and what's acceptable to society and things like that and not not being critical not questioning what we're gonna say um well you know it takes me back to um when my daughters were doing history day projects where they had to do research and they're the thing you need is primary first person accounts right Mm. and that's what we get on our phones if you do instagram or you know any other social media where you can actually see a person in another place, they can tell you their story first person, mm. and it's not filtered through other people's perspectives. Oh, gotcha. And I think that that is a difference in people. Some maybe some people don't. They only want to get the filtered information. They only want to think about the things that other people think are important. Um, and other people are like, well, but I want to know really what happened. Yeah. Um, and so then they dig a little bit deeper and they, they can be a little bit more critical thinkers. Um, and then hopefully they go out into the world and are able to share their knowledge in a way that can be received by other people. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you touched, you touched on an extremely important part of, of our age and like social media is that personal, the person to person. I hadn't thought about that before that. We're used to our, you know, when I was growing up, it was the news and you see people, they're presenting you the information mm-hmm. in the way they want to. And now we can just see a regular person somewhere in the world saying something. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, we've come to the, the end of this show, but uh, are you are you on your way somewhere? Are you? Yeah, I'm out the door, sorry. Are you on your way to be to more activist stuff or did you? Uh, no, I'm going to drop out for a little ride and ride my bike across the country. Oh, awesome. That's right. <laughs> but today, is there anything going on? That, uh, uh, today, or? yes. I'm going to go um, sign wave for ceasefire on Division. Okay. And then and then, and then then you'll do the bike ride and across the country. And then I'll the do the bike ride on Wednesday. Yep. Oh, I can't wait to hear about that. Maybe you could give us a call sometime. Yeah, absolutely. That would be fun. Yeah, okay. get to meet lots of people first person. Again, I really like that when you're somewhere and you hear this is how it is in New Mexico or this is how it is at the border. I'm going to ride thousands of miles along the border. So Wow, so jealous. Get some first-person perspective on that. Um, yeah, so I will be at uh, doing some sign waving tomorrow night. There's a, um, an event at the Hamilton Studios. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's put on by the Muslim Council or something. Oh, wow, I don't that have up. that information. Um, and then... Saturday is the rally, Sunday is the vigil, Monday City Hall. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming in again and for all your hard work. Yes, thank you. And uh, please don't stop talking about Palestine. We need a ceasefire now. Absolutely.